Welcome to The Art of Growth and our series on empathy for the types. And today is the type one. If you're new to The Art of Growth, you can find out more about us at theartofgrowth.org and see what kind of work we do with corporate training and coaching and individual as well. And that's the spot to sign up for our newsletter so you can find out about the things that are coming up, like the webinar we are having this month for the release of the Art of Growth app, which is designed to help work teams communicate efficiently. And it's also the spot to sign up for our new certification program starting soon. All of that at theartofgrowth.org. But for now, my friends, let's jump in with empathy for the type one. So if you didn't catch the first episode of the series, we're taking time to step away from panels and talking about the types just for a second so that we can look at some of the behind the scenes, some of the stuff that we see when we're coaching, some of the stuff that is the narrative behind the narrative. You know, we'll always stick to a core value within the Enneagram of people reporting on what it's like to be them, the self-reporting component. But so important is this, this idea of the core motivation of the type and even when we are typing people, we've done this a lot with organizations and we're sharing the core motivations. I think it's hard for people to initially relate to their core motivation because it's so much of what's going on behind the scenes and in the operating system. And so we talked about the, what's going on behind the scenes for the eight and the nine. And so we want to talk about what it's like to actually be a one. What are they experiencing on a daily basis, sometimes on a continual basis? And you know, sometimes this mechanism isn't functioning all the time, but it it comes up at really strong periods. And I think, you know, for the one, sometimes I think people perceive them as being either rigid or critical or, man, you're just seeing what's wrong. And I think people underestimate how hard it is to be a one, the behind the scenes where they not only are seeing every shortcoming within themselves and either feeling very certain about, well, this needs to change and I need to change it. Or, well, is this my responsibility? I don't know. But feeling a sense of responsibility that's always going off where, you know, I might just walk in a room and kind of go, oh, what do I want to do here? Or somebody else might walk in the room like, oh, how's everybody doing? To walk into situations and having this consistent feeling like, I'm going to see what's wrong here. I'm going to notice what's not right, what's chaotic, what's out of order. And I'm going to feel a sense of responsibility to do something about it. And it, how hard it is to set down that feeling of it's my problem. Hmm. I, you know, I have a dear type one friend who is just like, oh, my, I'm just starting to realize in my mid 40s that just because I notice something doesn't mean it's my responsibility that I have to do something about it. But I'm always feeling that. I just realized that for the last three months, that's the place I was in. Every single thing. I was like, I've just been taking it on because I just feel like I should be the responsible one. Hmm. I should be the one who takes care of it, who steps up. And and if I don't, then I'm going to question myself a lot. Hmm. So I won't question myself as much when I'm taking on things that are mine as much as I will be if something isn't taken care of, oh, I should have done that. I should have stepped up in that regard. I just this relentless feeling like I have to make things better. And if I don't, what am I doing here? And I'm always going to be seeing it. 
and other people are going to get mad at me for seeing it and saying something about it and wanting to do something about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to help and then I'm getting pushback or resistance or people are criticizing me when I'm trying to I'm trying to help, I'm trying to make things better. Hmm. The war within the one that's happening behind the scenes. I think people underestimate how much of a struggle that can be. Hmm. Yeah, it makes me think too in, in how we described we didn't say this for the 8 and the 9 but thinking about this now for so far you know all three types that we're talking about we've talked about the eight the nine today it's the one is that when we talk about the existential whole we're not saying that there that that's all that exists to a person is this sort of like yes oh man i've always got to improve i always got to and it's that comes with drudgery it's actually not there's a tremendous high side to it a positive side Mm -hmm. to it an excitement an opportunity i get to do this you know that's also there and that's the wonderful part that we want to we've talked about you know in other episodes of that's the high side of the type that's the beauty of the type all right so but back to what you were saying in terms of that yeah there's this weight of i'm somehow at the existential level there's something about goodness that is missing there's a Things are not as they should be. And there's there's things that are not good. And it's it's even at the deeper sort of moral level of, you know, it's a wrong. lack of integrity, a yeah. lack of having done the right thing wholeheartedly. Like I'm re- I really want to do the right thing here. Mm-hmm. And that is something that everybody can relate to at some level, that there is a good feeling. When we have done what we said we were going to do and done a good job, as good as possible on something, and you look at your work and you say, wow, I'm really proud of my work, right? Mm-hmm. For the one, that's a constant. For most of us, it's like, yeah, sometimes, you know, and sometimes, I, I and I do like that feeling when it shows up, but it's not mm. the driving thing for me. And so if I don't, oh, well, you know, it doesn't bother me as much. For the one, it really does because of this need for, at the existential level, this sense that somehow I might not be good. Yeah. I might not, there's something maybe flawed with me. Yeah, because it does. It can be internal or external. Like, and, yeah. and the mechanism can shift depending on context, where they are in their life, at the different seasons, depending on the subtype. Sometimes it gets very internalized. It's, I'm not good. Or I just feel like if I mess up, I'm going to be annihilated. Like some have taken it to that extreme. Like there's this existential feeling of like something is not right with me and I have to get it right or there's or a sense I'm of doom. Right. I'm dying. Yeah. 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 But for some, it there is more of the externalization, like this r- sense of responsibility for so many things that are happening around them, um, especially if they're really invested in something. So they're really invested in a relationship or they're really invested in a project or a job or execute. There is this sort of relentless, like, I have to do this. Oh, but I can make this a little better. Oh, but I could do this. Man, I really tried here and I didn't get the feedback that I wanted. I was trying to make things better here and I got resisted. That that sense of I'm trying, if I'm really invested in a, in a thing or a person or that, the push to do it, that sense of responsibility and sometimes even resistance to it. So like, and then being caught and then it can go back internal and then I'm questioning myself and I'm questioning my decisions and I'm questioning like, am I, 
Am I doing this right? What could I have done better? And then I think it was in working with ones where we, where we first used the phrase, trying to use the type to fix the type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where it's like this mechanism of like, I have to get better and like, oh, well, I know my Enneagram type now, so I can make myself better and I can overcome these patterns. But that sense of that, the existential whole, like we were talking about the irrationality feels like reality. It's my responsibility to make this better. Yeah. And again, there's, you know, people are, if you're not on type one, you're going to say, just wish they would lighten up. I can't understand what, why that is so, like who cares and why is that? Because again, there's a sense internally that if I do not get there, if I do not. Danger, danger. It's It's danger. It's the the warning bells again. Yeah. Very, very loud warning. Very. Yeah scary warning system internally. So we have to be gentle around that existential hole for the type one. And let me also say a couple things about people sometimes, this is why the word perfectionism is really dicey when we're dealing with Mm. type ones. It's because for some ones, they had, I, I typed one the other day who said, I hate the word yeah. Perfection. Perfect. I hate the term perfectionist. Yeah, I've had ones who said, I don't like the word because the word feels like oh, it's morally it's wrong. More, yeah. Yeah. yeah to be sure. a perfectionist is morally wrong. And I am a moral person, therefore I am not a perfectionist. Or just like, I, don't, I can't achieve that. Like, I, I'm very right. aware of that. I'm not, I'm not. And it would feel like an additional weight. If, I'm, if I call myself a perfectionist, then it's an additional weight. Mm. Other ones have no problem with that. Other type ones, yeah. they, they say, oh, no, I, I'm, I'm definitely a perfectionist. Um, yeah. So it depends on the type one, but it's, that's why I said it's dicey. And their relationship to that word, depending on their context. Like, that's the big thing, as we've seen a lot of variety as far as yeah. how they, their relationship to that concept and yeah. their definition of it. Yeah. yeah. So we don't say, yeah, um, you're a perfectionist. We say you're an improver. That's the term we've used. But when I use perfection, I use it as something that they are trying to achieve is I'm trying to get to that that place of where things are really good and I'm proud of the work that I've done. And, mm. you know, it's as, it's as near perfect as possible. So that's why they are that way is because there's a movement towards I want to get there. But on the high side, what a wonderful feeling it is when they're able to, to create that. So again, what we say about the existential whole is you can't fix it. You can't solve this internal sense that you have as a type one. And the, and or the is narrative, it something to be fixed? Yeah. Like, that's a tough yeah. one for ones that want yeah. to fix everything. That's why I yeah, want to like absolutely. harp on that, right? Yeah, yeah. You can't fix it. Well, what do you mean you can't? You should be able to fix it. No, you can't. That's not something. Here, here's how you fix it, by not fixing it. The interesting thing about it is when we relax around the existential hole and we and we welcome it and we show love to it, is it quiets. It's when we hate it or we feed it. Either direction keeps it alive. Yeah. I, either direction not only keeps it alive, but it sort of fires it up. Whereas mm. if we show love and just welcome it, like, yeah, this is an existential hole. I feel flawed. I feel like things are not quite as they should be. I see the imperfection. I feel it internally. And so that's, that. it's a dread. And, and I feel like I'm supposed to fix it. Okay. So let's turn that into what if the existentialist whole is part of your, part of the gift that is yours to bring to the world. 
So instead of you being like, well, then I'm supposed to make things better in the world and I'm supposed to fix things. Hmm. Well, yes, in part, absolutely. Yeah, for you sure. are, you're gifted that way. But what if it's also that you can make room for chaos? A little bit more room, hmm. a little bit more room, a little bit more room for things that are not orderly, things that are not as they should be by smiling at it, but just pausing for a little bit longer rather than, no, I have to fix this. I have to solve this. Yeah. Because that's the gift you bring to other people is when you're at your best as a one, you can hold space for the kookiness that's out there. You can hold space for the, you know, for the imperfections, for the the mess in other people's lives. I've watched ones do this. Mm-hmm. I had one that I, I happened to be invited into. It was a conflict issue of conflict between a couple of uh, employees and the the team lead was trying to arbitrate that and wanted me as a coach and you know to yeah. kind of be there. And I watched as I'm thinking, well that person clearly like is overreacting with a ton of emotion and then excusing all of her behaviors because she was triggered emotionally by this other person. <laughs> and in my mind I'm saying Whew, boy, that's really triggering me because I'm like, well, you should have been responsible. And, mm. right? So these things are, are happening internally. Meanwhile, I'm the coach and I'm still having all these thoughts because it's like, you know, we're all human. So we, we tend towards judgment and we tend towards seeing the world through our type. Mm. And I'm like, well, that's your reaction, not someone else's. And why are you putting it on that person? Right? And this other one was totally ice cold. I mean, she was ice cold, no emotion, no, ex- no compassion for the other, the other individual. <sighs> She is like, you know, very hardcore, mm. you know. Uh, and so I'm thinking, wow, you show a little bit of something, show a little bit of compassion, show a little bit of grace. And I watch this type one hold space for both and work towards mm. bringing the two of them together. That's cool. And took that chaos and created something really uh, orderly out of that, which I was, I was impressed. This is as best as you could do with that, you know, messy situation. And I think that that's the one at their best is they're capable of creating that. And someone's will say, well, that comes easier for me when I'm doing it for other people. It's really difficult for me to do it for myself. And well, I think for a lot of ones, that's going to be true. I don't know if there are ones that find it easier to do it for themselves and not for other people. I think it's probably mostly true that it is easier to do it for other people. But that's where I think that the one can really move to the high side is doing that for themselves as well. Giving themselves the gift of, I, in my own mess, belong here. Because to the degree that you can do that, you will actually become better. Even though you already do it for other people, you'll become better at doing it for the world around you. Mm. And that's your gift, is to produce greater order out of chaos. Not because you hate the chaos, but because you've learned to love it. And you've learned to bring the best out of what there is there in the chaos into a higher level of order, not a reaction against the chaos to produce a rigid order. Yeah. And I think ones know that. In, as I'm saying this, I know ones are going, oh, I know the difference. Mm-hmm. I know the difference between the two because I've seen ones create amazing order at a high level, like from a previous level of yeah. order to a better level of order yeah. because they made room for chaos. Yeah, they make room for it. I think it was a type one speaker I was listening to. And sometimes I hear the messages that people communicate and I'm like, oh, I... Yeah, I think you you're saying this because like, you need this. You need this, this exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I think he's a type one. And he, he said that messes are the prelude to miracles. Oh, very good. Wow. And I thought that was a very 
concise way of saying something like, like, oh, that's there's the high side of the one. Because the this idea of order and chaos is that it is in the chaos that new creation takes place, that creativity can come forth. When everything is solved and everything is figured out and orderly, it's very hard to cr- have creation of the new. And so it's in the mess and being like, well, let's even to the extent of stirring up a mess, like I've seen them, like I'm going to stir something up so that we have the context to create the new miracle, the new life, the new grace, the new beauty, because these are the words that get the one out of that mechanism. Yeah. Grace, beauty, yeah. different, interesting. Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. Very good. Space, mess. Okay, great. Now we're going to create a higher level of order than previously existed. And sometimes it is in the mess where something like that can actually emerge. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. So thank you so much for joining us and for listening. And next week we will carry on with the heart types. If you are not subscribed, do it. And you can also follow us on Instagram at just art of growth. And theartofgrowth.org is where you'll sign up for our upcoming webinar, as well as our upcoming certification course, where you can be officially certified in the Enneagram by the Art of Growth, which is recognized now by the International Enneagram Association, the IEA. But for now, my friends, may you lean in to the part of yourself that wants to make things better, the part that is dissatisfied by something in your world that you feel drawn to because there's a sense of responsibility that is yours to make it better and recognize what is and what is not yours to make better. But the one in the core of all of us knows we are here for a purpose. We are here to participate in the ongoing co-creation of the world and that our efforts can reshape and change the trajectory of where something is going. And it is a good thing to participate in it, to be part of the next right thing and to engage our right action with something we find valuable and meaningful. Grace and growth, my friends.